Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, our thoughts on USA's return to action after a nine-month hiatus, details about MyCujo streaming sites being sold, Champions League TV ratings keep on going up and up, more thoughts on the European Super League, plus we have letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. If you're new to this, to this podcast, uh, we're your weekly guide to getting the best out of uh, soccer viewing options from around the world. And uh, speaking of Kartik around the world, uh, we're now in the international break, in quotation marks, and lots of games coming up, lots of games being played today, Thursday, as we're recording this um, We'll get into the U.S. in in a little bit, but uh, Scotland. Scotland have qualified for a major tournament, uh, the first time in 22 years. The last time Scotland were in a major uh, tournament, which was the 98 World Cup, do you remember who managed them? In 1998, was it, it was Craig Brown. Was it? Or was it Sir Alex Ferguson? No, you're right. It was Craig Grant. I'm thinking that in 1986, World Cup. 86, it was when Jock yeah. Steen passed. And Sir That's Alex right. took over. Jock Steen died of a heart attack during the the, the qualifier against Wales, right? The, the do or die right. qualifier, Wales. And uh, and you think about that Welsh era. That was when Ian Rush played. That's when you had so many really great Welsh players. Yeah, Mark Hughes. Yeah, it's, Mark it's, Hughes, it's yeah. been so long that since Scotland have uh, qualified for a major tournament that I got the wrong tournament in mind. It's been that long, but 98 with Craig Brown. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean. And then Northern Ireland uh, mm-hmm. for the second straight tournament, major tournament has fallen short in the playoffs. So that's, uh, it could have been all four home nations. Uh, Northern Ireland obviously qualified in 16 and made the knockout stages, but uh, they fall just short, but but great for Scotland. Absolutely. So before we get to talking about uh, the friendly between Wales and the U.S., um, I don't. I don't want to go into a lot of depth about um, last week's matches in terms of the Premier League, and I mean it's, it's great to see Leicester and Spurs at the top of the table, and Southampton in fourth place. A lot of positives there. Um, of course, a lot of controversial VAR calls, which are yeah. just you mean really, really holding the game back in terms of the way that the rules are set up currently. Those have to change soon. Um, what about you, Kartik? Was there anything from this past weekend before the international break you want to mention before we go into talking um, international matches? 
Yeah, two things. One, I don't understand why England can't get VAR right because I watch, as everyone knows, a fair amount of Serie A and a fair amount of Bundesliga. I used to watch a fair amount of MLS. I haven't. I haven't watched a single minute of MLS since uh, the final in the in the Disney tournament uh, between Orlando and Portland. But those leagues don't have these problems. Uh, There may be one or two calls every now and then that are uh, problematic, but I I don't know. I I just I don't think they're ever going to get it right in the Premier League. And we know they're not going to scrap it. But I think the overwhelming sentiment from supporters I talk to is they want it gone. They'd rather have the mistakes and the controversies of the past than than the way it is now. So. Um, yeah, that's my VAR talking point for the week. My other talking point is I had all kinds of problems, again, with Peacock. Uh, I did not realize you cannot mirror Peacock um, from an iPad or an iPhone to a um, to an Apple TV. Now, you can mirror the sound, but you can't mirror the actual um, – the actual uh, 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 video, right? And yeah, and then Peacock on my device on the TV wasn't working properly uh, because it was working, but it was at a at a lower bandwidth, so I couldn't get I couldn't watch the game properly because it wasn't streaming in HD. This may not be Peacock's fault, actually, or NBC's fault. Uh, this was right in the middle of ETA. Uh, that Liverpool-Manchester City game was right in the middle of that. But I was kind of shocked I couldn't then, when I was able to get the right resolution on my phone at first, and then on my iPad when the phone didn't work to mirror, that I wasn't able to mirror to the Apple TV from from that. So that's some sort of uh, lock within the Peacock app, I think, on iOS uh, to be aware of. So I actually did not watch uh, Liverpool and Manchester City and, and just ended up watching the Bundesliga uh, and Serie A for the rest of Sunday on ESPN+. And again, we were in the middle of a tropical storm, which was... Um, Quite frankly, and, and Chris, you've just uh, gone through it. It's just uh, cleared your area five days later after what I'm talking about mm-hmm. what happened here four days later. But this, this, I think most people would uh, agree that this tropical storm um, in South Florida was actually worse than most of the hurricanes we've had. Just the amount of rain, the amount of wind, the duration of the event. So um, I'm not going to hold that against Peacock. I just uh, do think that there's some sort of issue with Apple and the mirroring um, from from devices that may need to be fixed. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the Peacock uh, a little bit later. I've got a couple of tips on that one, a couple of questions, actually. We'll probably cover that more in the listener mailbag. But um, but going to the, the Wales-USA uh, game and, and watching it um this is actually the first uh international match involving the u.s men's national team that's been on fox or fs1 in almost exactly a year that was the last time a game was on television on fs1 for the u.s men's national team which was a game against uh cuba that they won four nil uh a lot has changed in the last 12 months um regarding the coverage it, itself um it was pretty much a, a really kind of a no frills low budget you mean just um rob stone and alexi alas in the studio Stu holden john strong doing the commentary commentary was fine the analysis was okay um but they really didn't put much of an effort into this one um, we've got uh, fs1 that has the game next week too which is the uh, u.s against panama on monday same channels fs1 uh to na and uh, unamas i believe on that one but um how did you watch the game, Kartik? Uh, what was your uh, viewing choice uh, this time? 
Yeah, so I did actually watch the game on FS1. I, I haven't in the past. I, m- m- for most of the last three years, if a match is on FS1, I've chosen to watch it on 2DNA. I thought uh, John Strong and Stuart Holden were pretty good today, actually, considering they were in separate studios. Uh, I liked Holden's crack about <laughs> what uh, Gareth Bale must have been watching on his Mac, right? I think he, I think he's right. He probably was watching the Masters. Uh, we know Bale's affinity for golf. so uh, And I thought the analysis was pretty good, given this is a set of players we haven't really seen in um in play together with the u.s i do think uh one point i would have made if i were lawless or or, or holden uh but wasn't made uh was that i think Serginio dest is is so comfortable in the system because it's a system he grew up in at ix so uh he, he doesn't even though he hasn't played very much for the u.s right compared to some of the other guys in that team uh he, he knows exactly what's expected of him because it's a very dutch Dutch setup, but I thought they were. I thought it was fine. Stone and Lawless were very kind of no frills. It was low budget. Um, it was okay, and and I will admit I did not watch the post game because I was watching Northern Ireland, um, <laughs> and uh, and Slovakia and Scotland and uh, and uh, Serbia. Serbia. Yeah, right. So uh, I I don't know how they were in the post game, but I do think that FS1 were seeing in their coverage just. Really, kind of cheap, low budget. I, I I got more pregame out of Taylor Twelman. So Taylor Twelman was obviously calling the Scotland Serbia match, but he also uh, came on with Kay Murray before that match to talk a little bit about the U.S. I got a little more out of him and and what Burhalter was thinking and, and etc. He had just spoken to Burhalter a day or two ago than I did out of the Fox pregame show. And again, it wasn't that Fox um, had a terrible pregame show. It was just you know they had a feature and then they you know, kind of had a lot of commercials and that was it. Yeah. And, and, and then went to, uh, to Holden and, and, and strong who I said had a, had a pretty good game, but, uh, were limited by the production. I mean, that's the reality, you know, the talent only don't, the talent can only look so good. This is important for our listeners to remember the talent can only look so good if the production level and the commitment from the broadcaster is, is low. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe people will critique Stu Holden and, and, and John Strong, but I, I give them a pass if there were shortcomings, which I didn't really notice, if, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, I, I mean, ESPN obviously uh, not uh, having the rights to this game, but putting more of an effort into it in, in many ways. I mean, they had the broadcast of uh, Georgia against North Macedonia that kicked off at noon Eastern time. Uh, that game was over on uh, ESPN2 at uh, 2 yeah. p.m. Eastern, which I was expecting them to then take a break for half an hour and go to, I mean, I don't know, Sports Center or some, some, some of the programming. But they stayed on the air from 2 o'clock all the way through till 2.45, uh, doing some analysis of uh, the Euro 2020 playoff games, as well as talking about the um, U.S. men's national team. K. Murray hosting Taylor Twelman there. I mean, really, to me, Taylor Twelman would be a much better fit at Fox Sports if Fox was willing to put in more of an effort, and maybe they will for the next World Cup. And uh, I mean, they got they got it. You got, got the twenty twenty six World Cup too. So maybe in the future. Taylor Twelman, I mean, maybe if there's a deal to be worked out there, there's an opportunity for him to, to go to that side. I think he'd fit in there and actually benefit them much greater 
um, than he is at ESPN, which ESPN yeah, is doing at fine the same too. Time, I don't think that he uh, he wants to go to a network that doesn't have the Bundesliga and doesn't have the. Uh, it would have been much more enticing to him when they still had the Bundesliga rights and when they were showing more European qualifiers. Wow, uh, but but the World Cup though. I mean, imagine. Oh, well, that's true. That's I mean, true. Twenty twenty six World Cup and Gold Cup, and I mean, in terms of that, his audience, his audience is mostly. Uh, fans of U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer. I mean, you, you look at his Twitter accounts, he's all the time, MLS, 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 very little on the Bundesliga. Yeah, uh, that that might be true because that's his audience. But I think uh, he he kind of geeks out. <laughs> if, if I'm honest yeah. with you, whatever he calls these games, I mean the the uh, Heman champion again. Uh, they were they were at a especially given kind of the dour circumstance in Belgrade. It didn't have the atmosphere. Normally <laughs> yeah. would have been rocking, right? If it wasn't for COVID, that I mean that's a cauldron to go into. Scotland really called a break with COVID. Yeah. Oh my I'm gosh, honest with you, cause that's not a place you go in and win a match. There would have been fireworks. Honestly. There would have been bottles. There yeah. would have been Riot police. I mean, it would have been intense. But but they were able to keep me interested in their match with their call. And uh, Twelman has all these random things he knows about the players. I mean, I think his prep is is outstanding. Now, obviously, some of the Scottish guys like McTominay and Robertson and Tierney, Twelman would know a lot about anyway because they play for big uh, English clubs. But he knew a lot about the other guys on Scotland too, which but, but that's, uh, again but, impressed me. But that's the thing though too. I think, uh, and actually we didn't mention it until now, is uh, De Classica. So that was the last weekend, yeah. obviously yeah. on ESPN Plus. Uh, Taylor Twelman and Derek Ray doing the commentary. Derek Ray, exceptional as always. Taylor in this game, a couple of times actually was kind of speaking and talking so much that he almost talked into a couple of goals. A couple of yeah, yeah. Attacks were happening, and he, I mean, Derek said, "Hey, stop! Let me, you I mean basically let me call this out." So, so I think that's that's the thing about Taylor. Sometimes is that some games we've we've uh, I think MLS is back. There were some games he was so quiet. Uh, other times lately, he's been a little bit too talkative. Yeah, that I think game, uh, that that you're right. That Dortmund uh, Bayern game, he was uh, he was there was a lot going on. It right? was yeah, it was a really good game match. Um, yeah. but he was he was talking more than he usually does. That's a great point. We'll get back to the U.S. against Wales in a second, but I do want to mention it with the De Classica, and it was a great game, great coverage. I mean, he had um, Dan Thomas pre-match, and he, I think uh, Craig Burley. And my only concern about this Kartik and. You're probably part of the same crowd too. Is that every year the hopes get up? Then we all we all talk about okay, Dortmund. Dortmund's doing going to uh, do great. And yes, they did well in this game. Yes, it was close. And yes, if, if they had taken taken their chances, they could have maybe tied or won this game. But pre match, pre match, they went around and asked uh, the, the pundits there and said it in the ESPN studio. Who do you think is going to win this game? You mean is it going to be Bayern or is it going to be? Um, is it going to be Dortmund? Craig Burley said that uh, it'd be uh, Dortmund. Uh, Steve Chirondolo said it'd be Dortmund. Klinsman predicted a draw. Uh, kind of be, it'll be a little bit kind of uh, political there, maybe perhaps. But not one person predicted that Bayern was going to win this game. And yes, we all want Borussia Dortmund to win these games, just to add some competitiveness. But uh, but Bayern always seems to eke out a win, no matter what. Yeah, so we've had three three times they've played since the restart, right? They played right after the restart, which is a match that effectively de- de- decided the title. And then uh, 
the Super Cup uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, and then this match. And they've all kind of followed the same script. Dortmund have had better chances. They've had more chances, particularly that Super Cup match. I mean, the, the Bayern ma- a goal that won the match came completely against the run of play when Dortmund were bossing the match. Uh, and then this match was the same thing. I, I, I have to say, like, uh, it was a huge buzzkill, that match, because Dortmund were creating better chances. It looked like they were organized. It looked like Favre had the, the shape good. Uh, and uh, they, they snatched at the chances and, and uh, I thought conceded a few cheap goals, conceding, con- considering everything. Uh, yeah, uh, the, pre- the pre-match, though, was quite good, which yeah. Rundelo and, and Klinsman and, and Burley. Uh, but, yeah, they all... They're trying to build up Dortmund, and uh, I will tell you, I'm not only part of that crowd, Chris. Some people would allege, if you watch my Twitter, I'm the leader of that crowd because I, <laughs> you know, every every I fall into it every season. After a couple matches in the season, I'm say I'll say this is the year Dortmund's going to win the title. I did it again this year. I did it again after Dortmund beat was it Mönchengladbach or, or, or Schalke uh-huh. early on. I said, okay, this team's better than Bayern this season. Bayern is going to be so concerned about winning in Europe uh, that Dortmund, uh, all these young players, that they, they have the energy, they're going to have the fitness, they're going to they're going to beat them. But then, of course, if you're going to beat them to the title, you're going to at least have to get a draw at home when you play them uh, in the league. And it was the same thing last season. I said it, and then. Uh, the year before, I was almost right. Uh, remember, it came down to the last day of the season, but still Dortmund didn't make it. And I'm also the guy who always on Twitter is making the excuse about Marco Royce, saying, oh, well, it's if he were fit, Dortmund would have won the league. If he hadn't played, if he had played 30, 32 games instead of 25 matches. Uh, but I've, it's like, I think it's four, three or four straight years I've fallen into that trap. So, and, and by the way, people who are friends of mine do kid me about it. That, you know, they'll see me put the tweet up about Dortmund is going to beat Bayern this year. And I get a bunch of DMs. Oh, don't, don't be doing that again. Is it just your shtick now? Or do you really believe it? So yeah, I, I fall into that. And I think, uh, the, the ESPN pundits did the same thing because we, we so badly want it. Right. And we love the fact that Dortmund brings these young players through and we love the way they play and um, the, the, the atmosphere around that club. But it's just uh, there's something mentally there that they can't get over the hump. I mean, I think it's it's mental now. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, though, too, really is Bayern Munich in terms of just how much of a powerhouse they continue to be. I mean, it's, it's just an incredible team. And the, these players are playing at that, such a high level. Now, speaking, going back to the Wales against US uh, friendly, which I promised to do. First of all, it was really, really good to see the US play a game again. This is the first time they've played since uh, February 1st, when they had really kind of a really kind of a nothing friendly against Costa Rica. And like I said, too, it's been almost a year to the day since their last competitive match against Cuba. So it's been a long time since they've been challenged at at kind of a really, really high level. I don't think this game was it either. But but some of the the positives I got out of this game in terms of the U.S., uh, were better possession. They played much, much better, especially in that first half as far as keeping the ball, uh, being a lot more energetic, being a little bit uh, definitely more attractive to the eye to watch. And also it was good to see some of these up-and-coming players uh, having a chance to finally get some playing time playing together for the U.S. men's national team. What about you, Kartik? Uh, what were some of the positives you saw from this game? 
uh, from from the team. I mean, I, I think Guest, as I mentioned a little earlier, fits beautifully into uh, into Burhalter's system. He's grown up in that system at Ajax. Uh, John Brooks is, is phenomenal on the ball, uh, can pick a pass, can really start. If you're going to build from the back, that's a perfect guy to have as a ball-playing center half. And I know Rafa Honingstein had said years ago that he was kind of a Jerome Boateng-level uh, ball-playing def- uh, center back, maybe not necessarily the same level as a defender, but as a ball-playing center half uh, a- a coming up at the time in Hertha Berlin. Uh, he's had a lot of injuries, but we see how much better the U.S. are when he plays. Uh, obviously, some young players that, uh, that that look good. Weston McKinney looked good, uh, for sure. Conrad De La Fuente looked uh, kind of lively and interesting. Now, Mousse looked very good. A lot of talk about him, but I do want to remember, uh, I do want to remind the listeners that he has played every match of his youth career. Now, he's got a senior cap for the U.S., but every match of his youth career for England, and I am sure he is on the radar for Gareth Southgate. He'll have to make a decision, right, because where he plays, uh, there are a lot of guys who are going to be playing for many, many years ahead of him in the England team. For the U.S., it looks like maybe he can move right into the first team. He certainly showed he could today. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Speak, but don't yeah. count on that kid playing for the U.S. I think he, I think he probably leans towards England anyway because it, it's England. Yeah. Speaking of Yusuf, I, I watched him play this past weekend in what was my my match of the weekend, which was uh, Valencia against uh, Real Madrid, a four-one victory. Uh, he scored a goal, which was chalked off for I think offside, and then also involved in a play that earned a penalty, uh, and it looked really, really promising. So, um, I mean, hopefully. Greg Berhalter and his team will encourage him to go ahead and get that. Um, you mean because the friendly w- wouldn't count, but but in terms of getting earning, actually playing for the U.S. Men's National Team and committing to the U.S. Men's National Team. But my my issue with this Kartik is that I think a lot of people are probably very excited about uh, the U.S. performance. For me, I have to t- take it with a grain of salt because this is definitely not a first string Wales team. Having been born in Wales. Um, I'm half Welsh, half American, uh, having watched this team for a long time. This was a team that, uh, out of the the starting lineup of 11 players, there was not one player on this on this team that actually uh, uh, plays for a Premier League club, other than the goalkeeper, Danny Ward, who is a third-string goalkeeper at Leicester City and has had zero appearances in the Premier League. So this was mostly a team of Football League players, some championship players, mostly championship players, but you even had in the second half some of the subs coming on as uh, appearances. You had a player that uh, plays for Newport County in League Two, and then you had a player that plays for uh, Lincoln City in League One. This is this is definitely not the Wales team that uh, we will see in the Euro 2020 with no, Gareth Bale, Ben Davis, Joe Roden. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you. Yeah, yeah, no, no. But it, in a couple of days in the in the Nations League. Right. Okay. Let's let's be honest about that. And I I didn't want to sound too negative, so I didn't want to say that. But so thankfully you are continuing. Yeah, but, but so, so I mean the U.S. of of course missing uh, Christian Pulisic due to injury. So it wasn't a. This was a this was a not a second string Wales team. There's probably about two to three players that started in this game that would normally uh, play for Wales in probably in the next few days in the UEFA Nations League, starting those games. So that that's kind of the level that they're at. So with the US, I mean Alexi Lalas talking about the performances, saying that I mean six out of ten. Kartik Krishna are saying maybe six or seven out of ten. To me, I I, I don't think those numbers. I think. I mean, yes, yes. If it's against an extremely high-level team, 
and you can only play against who you're playing against, right? The, the eleven players that are in front of you. But I think we have to rein in some of this, uh, some of this hype. Well, the hype is okay, but I think we need to realize that this U.S. team has a long way to go before they get to a level of um, really competitiveness. Yeah, I don't know if the hype is okay, actually, Chris, because this is the same trap we keep falling into with the U.S., where players get overhyped, they get too much pressure on them, then they then they don't play well, or they fall out of favor at the club level, and uh, the U.S. fans are uh, look. I, I I mean every every. National team, every club team has bad fans. They're bad Spurs fans. They're bad Juventus fans. They're bad Bayern Munich fans. But I, I don't think that there is a collective set of fans I think are as deluded, in my experience, as U.S. men's national team fans. So this, uh, I, I do think it is a problem because we're going to start this vicious cycle again. And then when a player performs poorly, he, that, that player is going to get ripped to pieces. These are kids. You're right. They were playing against the watered-down whale squad. I... um. Uh, I, the, the fan base is still the way they handle the talking about Josie Altador and Michael Bradley. I mean, I, I can't trust this fan base to make sound uh, reason judgments about players. So now everybody I, I, I saw uh, uh, tweets today talking about how, oh, this one's better than Bradley ever was. That one is better than uh, that than Chirondolo ever was. I, like, are you kidding me? Yep. I mean, I, this is this is madness. So it's a fan base that's desperate. That doesn't necessarily isn't really seasoned sometimes in their analysis. So it's important the media that covers the national team keep them grounded. I don't know if they're going to do that or not do that. Um, I don't think I don't don't think so. I mean, here we go again. Then yeah, the the potential is here with these players. I mean, these players again some earning some really valuable Champions League experience with I mean RB Leipzig, Barcelona. I mean, you go down the list. There's a lot of players, Juventus, a lot of players on on this squad that could. As far as the team chemistry playing together, and Giorena, of course, with Dortmund, but playing at a high level and improving as a team, and and they're still young, and there's a lot of potential here. But yeah, I think you you you, you, you in terms of you saying okay, they need to kind of be more grounded, especially the U.S. soccer media. One hundred percent. I mean, because we, which which I don't think is going to happen though. Kartik. The, no, the, no, hype, the hype, the hype is work out. I mean, Serbia. I looked at the front three for the pre-match. You know, I'm rooting for Scotland and I'm excited yeah. uh, about potential of Scotland making a tournament for the first time in 22 years. And I love Steve Clark. Those who know me know that I have kind of a fetish for him as a manager and feel like he's gotten the short end of the stick wherever he's been. But. Um, I, I get, I, I see the front three for Serbia. I'm like, my goodness, this is going to be really one way traffic. Sometimes, and it wasn't right. Serbia were terrible until the 89th minute. Sometimes the clubs guys play at and the level they play at those clubs don't translate to international football. And the U.S. historically has had guys who played better for the national team than they did at the club level. And I, there could be a reversal of that because, like I, I saw, and I mentioned on the other show I was on tonight, uh, Lionez came into this match and played really well for me for 20 minutes, and he really got stuck in, mm-hmm. did some nice things. He's a guy who's not—he's hardly even playing at the club level, and um, sometimes guys, sometimes it doesn't translate. So there's this assumption among U.S. men's national team fans that oh, we have all these guys playing in the Champions League, so we're going to be fantastic. Well, the truth be told, they're all—they're countries that have guys playing at that same level who don't even qualify for major tournaments. I mean, think about the last time Norway qualified for a major tournament. They've had guys, uh, they've got had, like, they've had 
global superstars. Holon now, Solskjaer in the past, mm-hmm. any number Flo, of other guys. Right. It's not as simple as it looks. And I think uh, that's another thing. The media is kind of feeding this thing. Oh, well, this guy's playing at Barcelona. That guy's playing at Juventus. This guy's playing at Chelsea. That one's playing at Dortmund. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be great. Well, it doesn't always work that way. Well, well, that's the thing about the hype, though, too, is that uh, and, and CBS Sports is guilty of this too, Kartik. It's not just uh, Fox Sports, but it's one of the things that if you do talk about uh, the Christian Pulisic, NBC Sports hyping it up big time, right? All these players are playing at a high level, playing at uh, top clubs, um, doing wonders, doing really well with showing a lot of promise. And the media buys into it because they know that if the media buys into it, then the fans get excited and the fans get, I mean, buying tickets, buying merchandise, they get excited on social media versus the reality, say, six months ago or a year ago, where the morale is at almost an all time low. And, and, and that's the thing that I mean, so it's in some ways it's, uh, I mean, kind of manufactured hype among the media and a lot of the fans will kind of uh, will hear that and think, OK, that's the gospel truth. The reality is, is that it does need to be more grounded. There's a long way to go. The two things that are lacking in this U.S. team, which has been lacking for quite a, a long time. One, they have the potential, which is the creativity. So you have the Giorenos, the, the Western McKennies, and other players that could actually develop and be creators and create um, opportunities. But the biggest thing that's missing to me, Kartik, is the U.S. still is missing a striker. I mean, to me, watching this match, I'm, I'm watching uh, Kiefer Moore for Wales. I mean, the, the tall, what, six foot five uh, forward and I'm like, if he played for the United States, he'd be perfect for that in terms of whether it's long balls or just a, I mean, a big man, but uh, an opportunity to to score a lot of goals. And I think that's what uh, the US is missing. And and without that, without a, a really top level striker, which has been missing for a long time, um, they're going to they're going to have a difficult time in in, in World Cup tournaments in the future. Yeah, and I think the other issue with the U.S. that I have is I still think I see a lot of individual errors, right? These mistakes that are uh, caused by bad decision-making on the ball that a guy like Tyler Adams doesn't make it. Tyler Adams, by the way, uh, one one player I will rave about is him because I think he's one of the smartest, the headiest players I've ever seen play for the U.S. He, he reads the game better than just about any American player I can say in the last 30 years. So I give him a lot of credit. But there are other guys that still get caught on the ball in bad situations, play the wrong pass. They're trying to they're, – they're between two minds. And these are the kind of mental errors – I see time and again from American players. So, um, and saw, saw it again today. Saw saw a fair amount of that, and, and that that worries me because what we've seen about the U.S. in this bad run the last few years, when the U.S. went from being a really well organized, well drilled team that maximized results uh, ten years ago to where they are now, is the number of individual mistakes, guys getting caught on the ball, guys playing the wrong pass at the wrong moment, making the wrong decision. And a lot of that is mental. And I don't think that's changed at all, if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. And that, to me, you can have all the talent in the world. Until that mental part is right, you're still going to struggle. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news, Kartik. Yeah, and uh, I'll kick it off uh, talking about... uh, Following this past Wednesday's action in the Champions League uh, on Univision uh, through match day three, we've had three match days. Matches are currently up 39% in terms of viewership over a year ago, delivering a combined 432,000 viewers across 
Unimas uh, and Galavision uh, over the uh, over that period. Unimas is averaging three hundred seventy-two thousand viewers, which is uh, plus thirty-five percent, thirty-five percent over a year ago through three match days. And obviously, the rest, the remainder of those uh, viewers are on Galavision. Uh, some highlights of this: the current group stage ranks as the second highest ever, trailing only the twenty eighteen group stage on the Univision uh, networks. Juventus Barcelona, which was on Unimas, was the number one rated UEFA Champions League group stage ever uh, in this country, uh, irrespective of language, so in English or Spanish. And uh, Real Madrid Inter on Unimas ranks as the third best UEFA Champions League group uh, stage match ever, uh, regardless of language. And the Juventus Barcelona match, I think we talked about this last week, the rating was blue, I think, everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a few things here, too. I think Univision, uh, Tudo N, have done a fantastic job at uh, consistency. Consistently, you know that they're going to have the games. You know it's going to be on usually Unamas or, or Galavision, sometimes Univision for some of the bigger games. That, that's the first thing. The, sec- the second thing is, I think, uh, accessibility and, and having these games be uh, available over the air versus um, in the past, well, a, few, a couple of years ago, uh, Turner and you mean some of their games on TNT, but then most of the games on streaming. And of course, now with CBS, with uh, very few of those games available on television, the vast majority, actually all of them available on streaming. And, and then the third thing, I think it's uh, in many ways, Kartik, when you think about it, look back to maybe like, say, five or six years ago. And I don't think we any of us could have imagined that Univision would be, you mean, leading the pack in terms of the most viewership for um, Champions League games, which was up until, you mean, s- several years ago, really kind of an English language property. A Spanish language property wasn't you know, much of a factor. So so I think all, all in all, I think Univision and Tudorene definitely uh, doing well and taking advantage, too, of CBS not having many games on, on television. I think they've also benefited, uh, believe it or not, from uh, the emphasis that uh, the uh, that their rival, their great rival Telemundo, I think, is placed on uh, on uh, the Premier League because that has oriented Spanish language dominant fans to a league in Europe uh, and watching it over the air. And, and uh, obviously, yeah. uh, uh, 2DNA, or the forerunner of 2DNA, Univision Deportes Network, uh, showed a fair amount of Bundesliga and uh, and, and Liga uh, at one point also. So uh, they've kind of gradually, I think there's been a shift to where at one time Spanish language networks and Spanish language dominant audiences were exposed in that language simply to um, – and, and they give Gold TV some credit for this going back in their bilingual approach also. But um, I think recently especially you've seen Telemundo and uh, Univision step up with, with European leagues. And that has been a, an interesting gateway for people to watch uh, in Spanish. And look, I, I think a lot of English language fans are watching uh, Univision. And it's also the presentation is is, is very good. Now, uh, maybe uh, maybe CBS uh, is more of a rival than Turner was, but I think this is still spillover from how bad Turner was at covering Champions League. That uh, more and more English language dominant fans got accustomed to watching Univision. And then obviously you have the issue of CBS having so much behind the paywall. Yeah. And it's also uh, a benefactor of uh, more and more Latinos playing in the UEFA Champions League, whether it's Raul Jimenez at Wolves and et cetera, et cetera. The next news item, uh, speaking of CBS, uh, CBS All Access and Showtime are now at a combined 17.9 million subscribers 
And uh, compared to a year ago, uh, the number of subscribers is up 72%. So even though we just talked about Tudo NA and Univision doing so well on the television side, uh, CBS All Access, I'm sure a significant portion of those numbers have come from the soccer world in terms of you want to watch all the Champions League games, all the Europa League games, uh, you mean kind of... uh, post-match, pre-match, halftime analysis with uh, Jimmy Carragher and, you mean, you name it, Rafa Honigstein. Um, CBS All-, All Access has done a great job at that. So their numbers are way, way up. Now, Kartik, speaking of streaming, this is an interesting one because I think yeah. this is a story that you followed um, in the past, as I have done, and you've had experience dealing with this. But uh, I'll, I'll let you cue it up. Yeah, so Mike Cujo... Uh, which is uh, a popular streaming service where you where with streams lots of leagues and, and quite quite honestly you can set up to stream your independent club or stream a league yourself which we've done uh, at Himmershi FC where I'm on the board uh, has been acquired by Eleven Sports uh, which gives I think more of a a window to potentially um, the, these lower division leagues. Eleven is going to launch their own global st- streaming service uh, as part of this, and should mention that uh, I always had the sense, Chris. Uh, now, uh, now it's easy to say in hindsight, but always had the sense my Cujo was being set up to be sold and acquired. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the goal behind the project. I, I, I always felt that in the back of my mind, and that's happened now. So now um, a bigger potential global platform with 11 sports and then launching their own streaming service, which will put them in direct competition with, uh, with everybody basically. So that's another kind of well-funded player in the streaming side, uh, covering soccer. Yeah. This one for me is more about, um, 11 sports wanting to have that global streaming service and rather than trying to build that streaming service themselves, which would be very expensive and would require a ton of technical experience, uh, and development, etc., is that they've gone and gone ahead and said, "Let's go ahead and and buy it rather than build it." And acquiring my Cujo, which now they have the platform to go ahead and maybe reskin that and and put you have it as Eleven Sports, and then launch that as a global streaming service where that uh, no matter where you are, you could subscribe to watching some Eleven Sports content in the U.S. Just as one, as one example, Eleven Sports has the rights to the K League. Um, the Korean League, as well as in the past, they've had rights to the Belgian League. And they, they, they have games now and again for, from other niche leagues, but this gives them an opportunity to go ahead and perhaps uh, acquire more rights in the near future. Moving on to TV ratings, Kartik, a uh, couple of big numbers here to share. And um, Chelsea against Sheffield United on NBC on Saturday at the same time as uh, De Classica on ESPN+. Plus, We will not know what that ESPN Plus number was just because um, they're not uh, sharing that streaming numbers. Um, But uh, Chelsea's Sheffield United, 843,000 viewers on NBC. Uh, Pretty pretty impressive number given that uh, there was the De Classica at the same time. And then um, as far as uh, MLS, last weekend was the decision day on Sunday with um, Eastern Conference games starting at 3.30 and then the Western Conference games, I think by the time they kicked off it was about 7pm. The uh, the Western Conference uh, game on television, national television, was LAFC against Portland on FS1. That one had uh, 121,000 viewers, so about about the same as what they normally get. 
and then on ABC and ESPN Deportes combined that 330 game, which was Philadelphia against uh, New England Revolution, 397,000 viewers. So that, that one's actually a pr- pretty decent number there for ABC and MLS. Listener mailbag. We've got uh, a bunch this week and uh, one really long one that we've saved for this for this week, which we'll get to in a minute. But first up is Guam94. And uh, Guam94 says, I discovered your podcast on Pandora and now listen to it weekly on Amazon Music. I recently watched We Are LAFC on ESPN Plus and would love to hear your opinions on Bob Bradley's time at Swansea. I know that that's an old topic, but I'd love to know the gaffer's opinion, especially since he's a supporter. Keep up the great work. So speaking of Wales against USA, the game that was played at Liberty Stadium, uh, Swansea's home. Yeah, if we go back in time, I actually I, I was I was supportive of the uh, hiring of Bob Bradley. I thought that um, in terms of his coaching ability and his knowledge, uh, but he was the really the victim of just poor timing. He was brought in, I think it was like maybe like af- after the transfer window, so it was like late September, maybe early October, uh, and was let go before the next transfer window. So he had no opportunity to go ahead and bring in some players that, uh, that, that, that could change the team around. He was stuck with the players he had. And the players he had were, were, were decent, but definitely morale was low and he needed a confidence boost. Uh, he did get uh, a few wins, but ultimately, I think to me, it came down more so to uh, individual player mistakes, talking about uh, the US and what Kartik mentioned, which was really the main reason that, um, that eventually he got fired. And I think the, the actual... Um, opportunity that Bob Bradley had was razor thin or paper thin. I think there was a lot of pressure from the media, a lot of pressure from fans just because he was American. And uh, if he was English or Spanish or German or French, he probably would have uh, been given some more time. But Swansea really were in a tough situation where they had to pull the trigger and Bob Bradley got fired. Um, They brought in, I think, Paul Clement, I think it was, and uh, Paul eventually, by the skin of his teeth, managed to keep the team up that season, but um, they eventually got relegated. So I'm a big supporter of his time there. I just think that um, in terms of the way the perception, the perception among an average soccer fan is that Bob Bradley was a disaster. Bob Bradley was awful. He didn't know how to manage. The reality is, is that uh, he did well. And actually, a couple of the players that he brought in that he had playing in the team, given them opportunities, have gone on to much greater and bigger things uh, after after Bob Bradley got fired. So in hindsight, I think actually he did uh, a decent job with what he had. I would have loved to have seen him at least get a transfer window in in the, in the January to, to bring in some players and some fresh blood and give him a few more months. And I think ultimately he would have probably kept them up. I mean, who knows? But but that, that those are my thoughts on that one. All right, Kartik, are you ready for this one? So this is a long one, but it's a good one. So it's from Dave Roberts. He says, the point of this feedback is not to raise your ire, but I, kn- I know it's going to happen. So I apologize in advance uh, to both of you, especially to you, Kartik, because I like you a little more than half as much as you deserve. But here goes. I do forthwith wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, and with every single fiber of my soccer-loving being, completely, totally, and utterly support the plans for a European Premier League. That said, I don't think it goes far enough. 
I also support any future plan to create a pan-European second division as well. Why do I think this? Because there's too much money in the game uh, in the domestic leagues. Not only in England, but across the board in every league, the big teams have too much money, are spending too much money, and uh, have created an unsustainable system that is destroying the game at the local level. They have created a wall of cash made bricks that basically make it impossible for smaller community-centric teams to compete at the highest levels. These teams are guilty of what the Euro snobs are are accusing MLS of doing in the US. Sorry, but it's true. Teams in England are owned by royal families, Russian mobsters and energy drink companies. Sure, in Germany, there's the 50 plus one rule, but we've seen that to be twisted and manipulated. And obviously, some fans love it and don't care. I don't recall if it was either Kartik or Chris who mentioned that this plan was to compete with the NFL. Well, good. That league needs some competition. So let's get rid of those teams. The way the game is right now, the fans and the players are teetering on burnout. There's too much soccer. Owners, sponsors and broadcasters are treating athletes like pawns designed solely for their entertainment and profit. They forget that they are human beings with emotions, feelings and families. Some have argued that a pan-European Super League will kill the game. To that I say, balderdash. Instead, it will make the game more fun and competitive again. Many of these teams are treating the domestic competitions like mere friendlies to prepare for the European competitions. Their involvement in domestic leagues becoming mere formalities, and I don't think it's necessary for their continued involvement. It's not fair to the players nor to the fans. I know my opinion is an outlier, and many people like Kartik will disagree with me on the grounds of tradition. What well, tradition is a good song in Fiddler on the Roof, a musical that I'd, I'd urge you to rewatch to be reminded of its theme. Times change. Thanks for letting me rant. All right, Kartik, there's a lot to take in there. Uh, overall, ag- agree or disagree on this one? I actually think he might be making some really good points because that that that, that has become kind of the... I don't want to say a default view, but a popular view in the last couple of weeks as people have processed this, which was at first outrage. And then it gradually gave way to, you know what, let's let them go because then we'll get our game, our our, our sport back. And there is um, part of me, I have to admit, that has now become kind of torn about this thinking, you know, yeah, it would be great to have a competitive domestic leagues again. You know, if these top six clubs in England were all tossed out and ended up in this Super League, we would have a competitive product every season, right? So um, now the question is, would there be enough TV money um, to sustain those domestic leagues since the the model – and Ian Plunderleaf had a really good article on this this week in in Soccer America, if you subscribe to Soccer America, about how the the entire model of these domestic leagues in Europe to be uh, completely based around television money. Uh, has now led to to, to, to this, this sort of inevitable uh, choice between a European Super League and uh, and protecting the traditions of the game. So, uh, yeah, check that out if you subscribe to Soccer America. I'm not always a huge fan of Plunder Release writing, but I, I think he, he's pretty much really done a good job on this one. So I would um, – I, I, I'm kind of torn now. I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe it is for the best if these teams leave. Uh, or, or, or there's something that allows uh, more competitiveness in domestic leagues if we're not going to have uh, hard caps, et cetera. 
uh, on spending. But I don't want hard caps either because I think uh, the hard caps then prevent the, the, the teams that need to be selling teams in order to sustain themselves financially from selling at, 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 at uh, top value, their mm-hmm. players. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, my, my views might be evolving on this. I'm still against the concept. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, it just shows the selfishness and greed of these clubs. Maybe I'm at a point like Davis saying, you know what, uh, good riddance, get, get, get the heck out. So I'm with Dave on a lot of these things, except there's one major fault in this. And he's talking about uh, the European Super League or European Premier League, uh, those teams leaving the Premier League or leaving Liga and leaving the Bundesliga. That's not that's not what's not going to happen. I mean, the, the, what's supposed to happen is that uh, these teams want to stay in their leagues. They want to stay in their domestic leagues, but then play in the European Super League. And in addition to that, in order to get basically have have two bites of the pie. And, what's the point of having? Yeah, yeah. Right, because because right? then if anything, you're undermining the domestic leagues even more. So you have yeah. say Liverpool playing on a weekend game in the European Super League. They play, then play midweek in you mean some game against I don't know. Burnley and they field kind of a, a weaker team or you mean a second string team just because they know in the following weekend they're playing Real Madrid. And it won't matter where they finish in the league, right? <laughs> because they'll be in the, they'll be in Europe permanently. Right. So the only way for this to work would be for those teams to be to leave those domestic leagues and then to go into a European Super League. But then the European Super League what was going to be what 16 teams i think it is would get a little bit boring after a while because it's going to be the same teams over and over again uh very unlikely to have promotion and relegation there's probably an opportunity to go ahead and apply to be added but it's unlikely so at first perhaps it would get it'd be exciting having all these teams play but maybe after the second season it gets a little bit boring and by the third season it's very predictable my biggest concern with all of this is who's driving it? Who's the one that's making the decisions to form whatever the, it, it, it turns into? And I have no faith in the clubs in that, that, that top 16 that, or 18 that's going to be in the European uh, Super League, that they're going to have the best interest and they're going to have uh, of, of viewers uh, and they're going to make the right decisions. I think they're going to basically go ahead and make it so that they can make as money, much money as possible and includes some competitiveness in there, but but uh, also a lot of protectionism. So so ultimately, I like the concept, um, but I don't like them being in the in, in the same domestic leagues. So I don't think it's gonna it's gonna work. It, I think if anything, it's just leverage to try to push both the Premier League and UEFA and and FIFA in many ways too to get more to get more power to get more uh, revenue opportunities. And although I would like to see it happen sometimes, I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's just basically it, it's um, I think it's just them trying trying to get more power, trying to manipulate people. All right, let's move on. RQJ says, I've been a fan since, well, forever. VAR adds nothing to the game. The tradition always has been some you win, some you lose, but it tends to equal out. Dump this horrible, horrible experiment, which is ruining the beautiful game. And I've got a few more ones about VAR here, too. Leo says, VAR is the best invention of football history. The referee used to make mistakes that nine times out of ten served the big team. Now they can only try to do it as well, but everyone can see that they are either completely ill-suited for the job 
or just immoral human trash. Don Dickerson says, VAR, we love to hate it. If VAR wasn't used, we would be asking why easy fouls inside the box aren't being called. I'd much rather it be in the blatant calls being overturned. If the VAR official can't come to a conclusion within, say, 30 seconds, then the call should stand. That would free up the need for the ref to go under the hood uh, to look at the monitor, if you will, to get a second look himself. I never want to see offsides by millimeters ever again. And then uh, just a couple more VAR ones. Uh, This is from TK. It's funny that VAR was mentioned back-to-back on the last podcast with gambling. A country like Italy actually needed it. Strikers are being barely touched and going down this year. Crazy. Roberto says, I agree that one of the positive points with uh, Major League Soccer is that their VAR has generally been useful. That is because they use the pitch-side monitor a lot more. This past weekend, there were some back... uh, Uh, bad calls, but the teams that suffered got their revenge. San Jose against LAFC and Orlando against Columbus played um, much of a game with 10 men after very shaky calls. Both teams ended up winning their games. I agree with Leo about uh, in the past referees' calls uh, favoured the big teams. Uh, This year, like the pod said, the divers are mostly on those big teams and often get the penalties called. I wish there were more calls against the fakers. So Kartik... uh, before we move on to the next news item, actually no, let me let me save it for for a minute. So I was going to talk talk about uh, Peacock, but let me save that for a second. Next up is R.J. Hawkins. R.J. says Turner bailing on the Champions League was surprising to me. Can you recall a media company essentially giving up on rights early in the past? And also with a blank slate, what do you think a full year of Champions League and Europa League looks like with CBS over the air? integrated into the plan would cbs preempt shows like the young and the restless and judge judy for midweek games do those types of shows get good ratings so let me answer the 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 soap operas yeah those get huge ratings and i think it's unlikely that cbs is going to uh broadcast those games mid midweek uh if anything if cbs is going to broadcast some of these games over the air it's going to be the weekend games so it'll be your you mean your final and uh, maybe a semi-final if it's ever on a weekend. But um, yeah, it's going to be... I, I don't think it's going to be that many games on television. I think still it's going to be... I mean, everything's on, on streaming anyway, no matter what. But I think with the success that CBS All Access has had, I don't think they're going to put many games on television. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think also in terms of uh, backing out of rights early, I, I want to mention the Open Championship uh, when uh, ESPN had the rights, NBC gained it uh, two years in advance, much like uh, this situation with uh, CBS gaining the UEFA rights two years in advance. And much like Turner did, ESPN opted out of the last year and NBC inherited the, la- the last year of the contract and, and then uh, 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 and now continues to broadcast the, the Open Championship. Uh, I don't think there'll be many games on television at all. I do think if you see some sort of change in the television windows, because they've done this at times with previous contracts, remember UEFA, where they've changed the timing of matches, maybe uh, you'll see you'll see a match or you might even see a match uh, in when, when we have, if, if we continue to change their, our clocks and Europe continues to change their clocks, that's all uh, in doubt. But there's some times where there will be Champions League matches that kick off at 4 p.m. Eastern, which would be after um, 
uh, after the, young, the soap opera's right, run, yeah. right? That they might they might show one of those matches. Yeah, excellent point there. JP says, Kartik, sounds like you've been involved with fantasy for at least a few years. In the short term, it in the short term it does make you more knowledgeable about players and leagues, but in the long run, it bastardizes how you enjoy the sport. I've gone cold turkey on fantasy for NFL the last couple of years, and it's great. No longer follow games. I would have no interest in other than a, a certain player's performance. For the games I do not watch, uh, for, for the games I do watch, I'm not obsessing about stats. Just enjoy the game and competition. Also, realize the only reason we're still following baseball was fantasy, and quit that too. Or, uh, also, also quit that too. Haven't missed baseball one bit. Kartik, uh, and then the last point here is about uh, NBCSN, and uh, also we'll we'll talk about Peacock in a minute. But Tim Keane says. What happened to NBCSN last Saturday morning? Only Rebecca Lowe and Tim Howard. I thought uh, Tim Howard was a little out of his depth uh, doing all the analysis. He seemed to stumble and stutter a lot. Uh, was that because he was thrown in the deep end at the last moment? I did not hear any explanation as to um, why there was a lack of on-air personalities. And his beard is getting out of control. He's beginning to look like Rasputin. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was another thing. I mean, it was actually the, it was um, Robbie Earl. No, actually Robbie Musto. So Robbie Musto came on, I think, for the second game. He wasn't there for the early game on Saturday, and and who knows? Maybe you mean maybe he had a doctor's appointment. Maybe he had something going on, and, and or maybe it was traffic, or who, who knows? But he wasn't there, and it was just Rebecca and Tim for one of those early broadcasts on Saturday. Uh, but uh, Robbie uh, Musto was there a little bit later. So th- things happen, but it does under underline Kartik. I think how thin that talent is. Right, we've seen Rebecca Lowe not on the air on on some late Sunday games post match because she has to catch a plane, and the other guys are Liam McHugh and um, Ahmed Farid is are busy, and that's about it. They, they don't have in, in many ways though. I'm surprised that this they're not utilizing Sky Sports um, as much as they could because that could be an opportunity to kind of uh, bring them in a little bit or to, to use some of their coverage. Uh, they haven't done that, that uh, thus far. Yeah, that's actually the the surprising part, right? Because, I mean, it's pretty clear that they're in some sort of cost-cutting mode uh, in terms of talent. But uh, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a really good point. And, and we've seen... Um, the 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 sidekicks come and go right you know, obviously musto was there part of the time last weekend wasn't there all the time uh, it, it seems like howard is working more than than earl or musto and uh yeah i just think the level of the entire presentation has dropped off i mean it's funny chris when you and i started saying this a while ago we got a lot of blowback now more and more people privately are telling me, yeah, you know, you, you were probably right. They never did replace Steve Bauer. They really haven't adequately replaced uh, Kyle Martino. You know, they really haven't done uh, the job with, with the kind of the the, uh, the bumper programming that, that, that they used to do. They haven't replaced Neil Ashton. They haven't gotten another person who can report news uh, on their programs. So, uh, yeah, I, I – I, I don't know. I'm just very frustrated by it. It's uh, if we go back in the time machine to 2013, we have to remember too that Gary Lineker was yeah. part was part of NBC's uh, broadcast. That he would be um, obviously in London or or in the UK doing some of the coverage of some of the games. Um, Mark Clattenburg. Or he'd have a pitch side desk. 
Right, exactly, for some of the big matches in the studio. Yeah. Mark Clattenburg, as a referee analyst, analyst, we haven't seen him in probably about a year, maybe maybe even longer than that. Uh, Danny Higginbotham was brought in a few times to kind of... Now we see him on CBS. Right, on CBS Sports HQ. Yeah, yeah. So th- th- these people are available, and especially with Zoom and, and uh, even teleconferencing, it's e- probably easier than ever to go ahead and uh, do a video conference with some of these guys. Uh, they, obviously, they prefer the in-studio, which limits them in many ways. But um, it is what it is, Kartik. I mean, that, that's, Phil Neville the, 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 also. I mean, I, I remember oh, yeah. uh, they had Phil Neville uh, involved in, in the presentation of the, uh, the, the the Tottenham. Remember when they did the thing with Pochettino? Uh, they had Phil Neville on site for that. Oh, uh, yeah. Doing, exclusively for NBC. It wasn't a, a world feed I think, uh, thing. Yeah, I think we forget after a while, too. But even like um, some of the, the stand-up, uh, stand-ups interviews they've had pre-match, it's been a long time since we've had them interview some of the commentators. Like Rebecca Lowe would be interviewing Peter Drury about the upcoming game right. on a Sunday yeah. or Martin Tyler, Martin Tyler. and getting yeah. right pitch side. Usually it'd be Martin Tyler and Danny Higginbotham on a Monday talking about um you mean that coming game and some of the storylines and we haven't gotten that um in a long long time yeah and the monday monday program was really kind of useful because even after uh uh, steve bauer reduced his commitment to nbc and became a much more important part of what the bbc was doing with match of the day they would still bring him in on monday and because he'd been in the match of the day studio or doing whatever for the bbc he had some insights uh in that monday uh uh a pre-game show and, and oftentimes that wasn't Rebecca Lowe hosting it has been Ahmed Farid for a few years now or Liam McHugh but uh, Bauer would would add to uh, to that presentation and then in terms of not replacing Neil Ashton I think that's a huge thing because uh, I, I know everybody can like Google things and, 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 and read uh, the, the whichever publication they prefer the Telegraph or the Guardian or, or, or Times to get news but there's still I think a value if you're going to cover a league and have bumper programming around the matches to having a reporter uh, who has some insight and can not only break news or, or, or talk about rumors but then analyze what that means right and, given uh, the context. Yeah, and give 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 the context to that, and and Neil Ashton wasn't the only guy in the business. Okay, I know he left, and now he's he's advising Ed Woodward, and he's got his own uh, comm shop. But uh, there are lots of other guys, whether it's John Cross or whoever, they could hook up uh, Matt, uh, Matt Law. I could go on and on, right? Yeah. Henry Winter, et cetera, et cetera, that they could hook up via remote uh, from London. I mean, uh, ESPN FC. Again, I know people think I'm maybe a little too obsessive about that program, but Dan Thomas has a uh, host of people coming on the show from London, uh, whether it's Julian Lorenz or, uh, or, or Gab Marcotti or, or Don Hutchinson or whoever, they, he does, they don't have to be in Connecticut. Uh, and, and obviously they've gone to a more remote setup since COVID anyway. But uh, I don't know why NBC uh, – now Ashton left in, in January, right? Uh, mm. So it's been uh, 11 months. They haven't done anything about it. Yeah, I think it has to be cost-cutting. I mean, because we've seen from CBS Sports all the talent that they've hired and in almost every single show that they do, there's new talent that comes on board, whether it's uh, Gus Poyet or whoever it may be. And it's a whole host of new characters. So we've seen how it can be done even on a short, short-term contract or just a kind of a freelance contract, having these, this talent involved in uh, analyzing the game and adding more depth, making it more interesting. And um, it really is. I mean, CBS, I mean, it just as one example, is really, really 
making well, NBC Sports look that's, inadequate. That's a good name, actually. I'm thinking. I was thinking about this while we were talking about it. Why doesn't NBC uh, hire someone who's a Premier League manager, Gus Poyet? Just bring him in. You know, hook him up from London. Obviously, he's not going to come to Connecticut. Hook him up for a segment a week or, or every couple of weeks. I mean, yeah. that, that's well, that's another perspective that could be useful. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, CBS has beat them to him. So, but uh, but, but that's the thing, though, too. CB, I, I mean, NBC has Sky Sports as a sister sister company you would think that maybe they go to uh kelly cates and say hey kelly are you available to give some analysis about liverpool or you mean there's definitely a lot of talent at sky sports some good some bad some indifferent that they could definitely tap into and incorporate that more into their broadcast to kind of fill in those gaps they haven't done that thus far about peacock i do want to address it because this might be something that uh, other listeners may have uh, similar issues with the first of first point you mentioned in that first segment is talking about uh, trying to go ahead and, and cast or mirror games to your television using, like, say, an iPad or, or a, et cetera, or a phone. You have an Apple TV, so why aren't you doing it on Apple TV? Just just out of curiosity. Yeah, because um, the, the 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 stream wasn't good because there was some bandwidth issue. So okay. Uh, so from the app from the app on Apple TV, there was some kind of limitation in bandwidth. I think it was because although. I have to say it was a peacock thing because come to think of it, when I got frustrated and said, and you know, this was Liverpool, Man City, it wasn't a match I wanted to miss. Okay. There's a Bundesliga match on. And then they had Juventus was playing, although the Juventus game had been earlier, but they, uh, not the Lazio Juventus match, but there was a Serie A match on. I'll try ESPN and the ESPN plus feed was fine. So it was a peacock error. And then I tried the peacock also on the LG, the, the LG app. And I had a similar, uh, streaming issue now. Now the matches were streaming. I don't want to. I don't want to say this was like the previous week uh, or, or whenever the Aston Villa Leeds match was when it, it, it gave me an error. Peacock can't load now. It was loading. It just wasn't. It was more of. A, it was a standard definition. Um, mm-hmm. Right uh, quality. Feed. Right. Yeah, it was a quality thing. Which, which again, we were in the middle of a tropical storm. We were. Uh, uh, if you follow the news, we've had probably our worst flooding in in, in decades here in South Florida. So, uh, it's it may not totally be on them, and it may be just be that ESPN ESPN happened to work better. So that that's yeah. what happened there. So then I tried to mirror it, and I couldn't mirror it. Now that that having been said, the the, the picture was perfect on both the iPhone and then the iPad. So there was no bandwidth restriction for Peacock on either of those devices. I just didn't feel like sitting and watching the mm-hmm. game on my iPad. Yeah, and it could be a Wi-Fi issue too where, you mean, AT&T View versus the actual quality of that signal. I mean, it's the strength the strength of, of that uh, connection is not that great. Um, yeah. I, I haven't had any issues, which is why I wanted to bring it up. But 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 the second thing is is that definitely, if you haven't done so thus far, and the same for listeners too, if you guys are experiencing issues, is that they do have a a Twitter account uh, which is Peacock TV Care, and uh, you can go ahead and DM them, and they will definitely their tech support will help you out as much as they can to try to troubleshoot or problem solve issues. So I would encourage anyone that does uh, have uh, issues with that, uh, check it out because that could actually, m- maybe it's something that they can fix. Maybe it's, maybe it's a setting and maybe it's ESPN Plus handles lower bandwidth better uh, as far as the way that they process that perhaps. So so maybe it's a setting, but uh, check that out. So, so it's Twitter, but it's uh, Peacock TV Care, uh, C-A-R-E. And then also they have a, a Peacock um, help and support on their website 
And I think there's a, a, a contact us form there that you can fill out and, and then hopefully they can resolve it. Because the reality, Kartik, I mean, is unfortunately for many of us, I mean, is that Peacock is here to stay. And we've seen with, from the Man City Liverpool game, I mean, at this point, it seems to be now, unless it's on a Saturday, 1230 Eastern time kickoff on NBC, all the big games, all the big games are on Peacock. And I think for next season, the final season of NBC's deal, we're likely to see even more big games on Peacock. And who knows, maybe the last season, it could be Peacock TV has everything except for your NBC game on Saturdays at 1230. Anything can happen. All right, Kartik. So uh, listeners, if you do have any questions for us, any feedback, uh, any questions about streaming or watching games on television, uh, any uh, feedback on anything we've discussed thus far or some ideas for, for future topics, let us know. We want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as, well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Kartik, before we go, um, where can listeners find you to get updates on everything from politics to Florida history to soccer and, um, and weather and storm, storm reports and, and much more? Yeah, let's hope the storm reports stop now. I mean, it's the middle I was of November. It, 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 mid November, we'd still be uh, still be deal- not only dealing with it, but Etta was really, really bad for the state of Florida. Uh, it's KKFLA seven three seven. All right, so we've got a lot to look forward to this weekend. Uh, of course, we've got Conmebol World Cup qualifiers. We've got uh, the U.S. plays again on Monday, as I mentioned, against Panama in a friendly uh, that's going to be played in Austria, of all places. And then over the weekend, too, we've also got uh, UEFA Nations League and uh, Africa Cup of Nations. I watched a, a great game uh, this week, which is uh, Ghana against uh, Sudan. So those games are on being sports um, television. But we have the whole schedule for all the games during the international break at worldsoccertalk.com. So check that out. And Kartik, heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world. What are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.